You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. This is the final podcast of the regular season. We usually tape these things on Wednesday evenings, and that means a week from now on Wednesday evening, we're going to be talking about wildcard games. So right now, we're still trying to figure out who's going to get into the playoffs. We have a couple teams we know for certain, a couple teams still trying to fight it out. And so I thought, uh, what better way to talk about that than to bring on someone who is both a national baseball expert, but also very familiar with the New York baseball scene, as it's the first time in almost a decade that both the Mets and Yankees are going to make the playoffs simultaneously. So we welcome on Tyler Kepner from the New York Times. Tyler, thanks for your time. So Tyler, this is the StatCast podcast, and so we are always talking about you know advanced stats and high-tech metrics. I mean, StatCast is radar. Uh, but the first thing I want to talk about is something decidedly low-tech. You wrote this week about how you go through every single game, every single starting pitcher, uh, even games you're not assigned to, literally every game of the season, and you have a notebook, and you jot down the results from every starting pitcher's game. So if I were to example, ask you, uh, what did David Huff and Scott Baker and all the other guys the Dodgers have or Kershaw and Granke do did this year, you would know that from your book. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, all this stuff is, is obviously available in many places, um, online and i know that i'm not like you know you're decreeing the internet or you know these these young whippersnappers with their websites and stuff i love all those websites and uh, I, I i use them all the time but it, it's an exercise to really um reinforce what uh i'm supposed to know you know i mean i i think it would be really easy if, you, if i didn't have a reason to look at every team's box score every day uh i i might not i might you know just let it let it slide or, or you know not see something and I want to be able to at least have glanced at and jotted something down from every um, every game in the majors all year and you know I figured like if you have a if you have a pretty good read on what each team's uh, rotation is doing at all times um, then you have a pretty good read on, on that team I mean that's the single most important thing um, for each team, and, and you know, and it just it, it keeps you out state generally. Sort of that that phrase, generally aware. That we heard the Tom Brady thing. I want to be generally aware of what every pitcher, what every starting pitcher is doing uh, at all times, and it gives you it gives me some ideas for you know for what to write about and for bigger themes. Um, and uh, you know, it, it, it's a good conversation starter with people around the game, just to be able to know at all times kind of you know how. Giovanni Gallardo's doing, or how Tyson Ross is doing, or how you know Kyle Kendrick's doing. Just anybody at any moment to to be able to generally know what they're doing is is very useful. Well, if you've been writing down all of Kyle Kendrick's stats this year, then then I'm sorry because I know that hasn't been very easy to watch. <laughs> it hasn't been a good year for Kyle. You know, we've had Loesch and, and and Kendrick has struggled, and Lobstein hasn't been so good, and uh, you know Hendrick has been okay, but um, you know it's it, it's been a been a lean year for uh, starters named Kyle. Yeah, so I actually wanted to ask you uh, about something you wrote, I think, two months or so ago. Um, Kevin Kiermeyer, center fielder for the Tampa Bay Rays, and the title of your story was 941st in the draft and number one in defense. And uh, by the stats, he may be having the best defensive run saved season of all time. 
all time going back to, I believe, only 2002, but so be it. 37 defensive runs saved. Uh, I looked up the stack cast numbers. He's the 12th best in root efficiency of center fielders, but he's got the third best top speed, the third best throwing arm. Uh, and I thought you wrote a really interesting story about how he came from obviously very low in the draft to, you know, being an elite defensive center fielder. And I'm interested to know, you know, what had stood out to him about you? Were you actually looking at these advanced stats, you know, the, the DRS, the EZR, et cetera, or was it something you'd seen just in watching him come through New York? Well, yeah, he had made a, uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm aware of all those, not all those stats. I can't say that I, I, I know exactly, um, you know, what all of those mean, but I mean, I, I look at the leaders now and then and, and you know, the UZR and the, the defensive wins above replacement and all that stuff, just to kind of stay on top of, of who the, you know, who some of the better defensive players are, because those are the ones that sneak up on you. You, know, you, you might not realize, oh, you know, this, this guy um, has a really good skill, a really valuable skill for his team. Um, it's harder, I think, to judge that, you know, when you just watch a handful of the team's games or, you know, you click on them for a few innings, um, you know, on the TV. So I just noticed that the stats were really good. And, you know, when the team comes through New York, sometimes I try to pick out a guy who I don't know much about and I want to learn more about and I want to meet and stuff and maybe tell a story that um, has, has probably only been told by that team's beat writers, um, you know, because that's the foundation of everything, you know, doing the beat, um, which I did for 12 years. and I have the utmost respect for the beat writers. But um, anyway, so no, he had made a really good catch too against the Yankees earlier in that series. And that just kind of, you know, reinforced to me, you know, this is a guy I want to learn more about. And uh, he had an interesting backstory. And I tell you what, the funny thing, Mike, is when I did that, I got an email from someone that says, hey, you know who else is uh, the Canadian version of Kevin Kiermeyer is, is, uh, is Kevin Pillar. And I looked more into him, and I haven't, you know, met Kevin Pillar or done much about him, but he has a very similar um, story, only in the sense of being drafted in, you know, very, very low and, and performing really, really well uh, in center field. So it was sort of funny that there was another guy – pretty much just like that in the AL East. Yeah, and I think if, if people don't know Kevin Pillar, they're about to, because uh, obviously the Blue Jays are going to October, and uh, he's he's going to be on center stage. Uh, you know, so you just mentioned something interesting. I know that you had been a, a New York beat writer for, for about a decade or more, and now you're the national baseball correspondent for the Times. Do you find that easier or harder? And the reason I ask that is because obviously nationally you got you have 30 teams, not just the team you're on, but also you know any minor thing isn't necessarily a story like it might be for a beat writer. Like, What's that experience been for you? Um, well, it's it's uh, you know, it's been six years now as a national guy. I did I did uh, twelve as a beat writer. You know, two on the West Coast, one with the Angels, and one covering the Mariners, and then uh, two on the Mets and eight on the Yankees. So um, there's a lot of comfort in doing the beat in the sense that your world is 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 pretty strictly defined. Um, you know, it's it's that organization. You know, it's it's the 25 guys, the minor leaguers, the, you know, the coaches, and all the sort of issues related to that team. Um, and it's pretty easy to understand what your area of responsibility is. It's very hard to, uh, you know, to, to do because you got to pay close attention to everything. But generally, most of the people you're responsible to write about are right in front of you every day. Um, the players, the, the executives walking around, the minor leaguers aren't. But, you know, it takes a little bit of legwork. But um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's – it's uh, it's much, much, much more of a physical grind um, on the beat. Uh, you know, all that travel, uh, traveling just as much as the players, but not in, you know, in the same luxurious manner they do. Um, that takes a lot out of you, but you do it because you just, I mean, I did it because I just loved, loved the game and I really wanted to learn. I feel like that's the best way to learn. It's really hard to just do a year or two on the beat and, and think that you really know about the 
what these players go through because you see the human side of it. I mean, the, the, the stats are great. I mean, I used to read the Bill James books when I was a kid and, and the Elias Analyst books and all that stuff. Um, but when you sort of do the journey, the human journey that these guys do, um, you, you know, you see a lot of that uh, that side of it too. And also really, you know what, you see the, the side of the um, transaction stuff that, you know, that makes such a difference. Um, you know, what the, you know, why a certain guy can't be brought up or why this guy played and this guy didn't. You know, all the little decisions that go into every day of 162 for the GM and the manager. It's a tremendous education. It's really the best way to learn about how the game really is for the people in it um, and why they make those decisions. So, I mean, my job now, it's, uh, it's you know, to, to put stuff in perspective and to, to find kind of the best stories out there and try to tell them as well as I can, you know, about the people in the game or the trends or the things going on. Um, so it's it's very different, um, but at, at the root of it, it's still about, you know, connecting with people and making smart observations, hopefully, and, um, you know, doing a good job of telling those stories. I mean, I, I I never felt like I was just filing a, you know, a game story every day. I was trying to sort of tell the story of the team that day, um, whether it's through the game or through something else, um, some offshoot of the game. So you're just trying to tell the story of baseball um, when you get down to it, and, uh, you know, that's, that's the fun part. Well, let's bring it back to New York. The Yankees are most likely going to be a wild card team. Uh, they're most likely going to have the wild card game at home. But I think it's a really interesting team this year because they blew a, a pretty sizable division lead. I think it was seven at one point over Toronto. And, you know, usually in this city when that happens, everybody would be freaking out. The fan base would be up in arms. But it just doesn't feel that way this year, right? And I think part of that's because Toronto played out of their minds. I think part of that's because the entire rotation landed on the disabled list at one point. Um, but it just it's a different feel to this team. And I think you wrote something very smart the other day that, yes, they still have a high payroll, uh, but they've added some smart thinking. They hung on to to Judge and Bird and Severino. Uh, Deadspin today actually called them uncharacteristically boring and competent, which I think is fascinating. Is it possible for a New York-based team, the Yankees especially, to somehow quietly be making the playoffs? It does seem that way, doesn't it? I think it's all those factors you mentioned, also the Mets in town sort of being um, a better story, frankly, just because uh, you know they, they haven't been in the playoffs in so much longer. Um, but especially, you know, the Yankees, they haven't been in, uh, since 2012, um, and, there, and yet there doesn't seem like there's all that much excitement. At the same time, though, you know what? It doesn't feel like there's that same sort of edge maybe there used to be in the, you know, in the Steinbrenner, Jeter years where it was like, you know, championship or bust, and that's the only expectation. I feel like Yankee fans think this has been a pretty successful season. I think the expectations were low. Um, they didn't really know. Uh, you know, with all the injury questions, I mean, you know, Tanaka's the ace, and he had, you know, people sort of expected his arm to fall off after pitching with a partial tear. Um, they didn't know, they had very low expectations for Rodriguez and Teixeira. Um, they didn't know what Didi was going to do. So there's all these questions, and I think most of them have been answered pretty positively. Um, and I do think the organization was smart. Um, they didn't overreach at the deadline, they didn't do much at the deadline at all, but they've since the deadline they've gotten from Luis Severino, pretty much what you could have hoped for from any starter they could have imported. Um, so I think they were really smart to, to make the moves they made. Their offseason moves worked out. Miller has been great. Um, you know, losing Robertson hasn't really hurt. Uh, Gregorius has been very good. Other things have worked out. So, you know, I, I think it's uh, – they seem a little on edge because they have not played well in the early going of the Boston series. But there's sort of a feeling of that they've exceeded expectations, I think. And, um, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, 
I'm, I'm trying to think of another word for it's not it's not the word boring. Um, it's more just like you know they're they're sort of business very business like uh, methodically going about their way and generally playing pretty good baseball. Although there's there's a lot to worry about too. It's very weird to live in a baseball world where the Yankees aren't the the quote unquote big bad anymore. Uh, but that but that's sort of the way it feels. And I, you know I think you're right. Um, and some of the things you said, especially the Mets. I mean, it obviously it was a lot easier for the Yankees to stand out when the Mets were you know in last place or, or close to it for the last several years. Obviously the Mets. Are, they won that division, uh, almost certainly going to be play, playing the Dodgers in the first round, which I think is a really fascinating matchup because if you look at those two teams, they come from extremely different places, um, you know, financially, just in the way the teams are built, but they're evenly matched, right? I mean, I think the Dodgers, uh, Kershaw and Greinke have the best two starters, but overall the Mets rotation is deeper. I think the bullpen, they both have one really good guy in Familia and Jensen, and then there's a whole bunch of questions behind that. Uh, maybe a slight edge to the Mets offense. When you look at these two teams, you know, what do you see there? Yeah, I think you, you you set that up pretty well. I mean, you know, you'd like to think you'd like to just sort of make it a battle of the starters, but often unless those starters go eight or something, it's going to be, uh, you know, you're going to get those bullpen guys to uh, to be a big part of it. And and I worry about that with the Dodgers. Um, you know, the Dodgers can, can theoretically can beat you with just those two guys. We saw last year Bumgarner one guy, um, but that usually doesn't work out that way. I mean, I go back to last just last year with Detroit with the three Cy Young winners, and they went out. One, two, three. It's Baltimore. Um, Bud Norris beat David Price in the last game. So, like anything can happen. And predicting it is is, uh, is just an exercise of futility. Um, but they're similar. They are similar in in in, in the ways that you mentioned. Um, and I can't wait to see what happens. I, mean, I don't know if, if Kershaw and Granke go out there and just completely overwhelm the the Mets. Um, then the Dodgers will have the edge. But I think the Mets are just capable of doing that. So to, to the Dodgers. So I can't wait to see how it, how it turns out. Tyler Kepner, we are running long, so we're going to end with uh, with one point and one very quick question for you. The point is that I learned today in doing research for this, and researching guests really is stalking people, which is as creepy as it sounds, it's true. Uh, you and I share an interesting hobby in that we have both in the past contributed multiple times to the UniWatch ticker, which I thought was interesting. And so I, I, I read the interview with them uh, from a couple years ago, and I've been reading them for, I don't know, probably since the first day because that's also been a... Uh, totally nerdy hobby of mine, so I, I appreciate that about you. And then the last question before we let you go, and I don't want you to put any thought into it, I want the first name that comes to your mind. Uh, the Cy Young in the National League, Granky Kershaw, Arietta, it's probably the greatest race we've ever seen. Who comes out of it for you? I think Arietta. Yep. Um, you can make a great case for all of them. I really, right now, I just want to see if Kershaw gets a 300 strikeouts because I know it's a counting stat and all that stuff, but it's a, it's a cool number. It's a really sort of magical number for a pitcher. I got into baseball when Steve Carlton was striking everybody out for the Phillies in the early 80s, and I just love the big strikeout guys. And to see someone on the verge of 300, uh, I really I really want him to get it. I don't even know how much he cares about it. He probably doesn't. Imagine really a world. for him hard to get 300 strikeouts. Yeah, imagine he does. So then maybe we're living in a world where a guy with 300 strikeouts doesn't win the Cy Young and a guy with an ERA below two doesn't win the Cy Young. Wouldn't and, that be crazy? I know. How about that? And I mean, maybe it really could happen. It, it, it's almost, I mean, not guaranteed because I don't know if Chris will get the strikeouts, but it's really very likely that that's going to happen. And I think that says a lot about just how amazing pitchers are in baseball right now. Tyler Kepter in the New York Times, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Welcome back to the MLB.com StockCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Joining me now, Aaron Gordon, staff writer at Vice, internet writer at all kinds of different places over the last few years. Aaron came out this week with a really interesting behind-the-scenes look at StackCast, and as is being the StackCast podcast, uh, we absolutely had to have him on to talk about it. Aaron, how are you? 
I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Aaron, I thought uh, on a, a separate topic, very briefly, just knowing your history and some of the other stuff you've written, I thought you might be interested to know that I spent three years in college with the Brass Bonanza as my cell phone ringtone. Uh, and I thought you'd find that fact fascinating. That's what I'm talking about. Glad to hear there's still some Brass Bonanza in this world. Brass Bonanza, for the 98% of you who don't know what that is, was the theme song for the dearly departed Hartford Whalers. But we've already spent enough time on that. Aaron, you got into the StatCast truck. Uh, there's a separate television truck just for StatCast, uh, separate from the regular television broadcast truck, uh, at a game in Fenway Park. And then you, you know, understood how the system works. Uh, you understood the technology behind it. And then you wrote a very interesting piece about it at Vice this week. So tell me a little bit about how this project came together. Was this your pitch? Did it come to you? Uh, what made it interesting to you? Uh, well, my editor, uh, Jorge Arangre, he knows I kind of have like a standing claim on anything about the intersection of tech and sports. Uh, I, it's, it's always been a keen interest of mine, uh, especially when it comes to analytics. And obviously, it's such a fast-moving industry, particularly in the sports world, but really in almost any industry you look at. Uh, you know, you just do a Google search of big data, and there's always an article about it. So. Uh, it was a co combination project with our, our tech site motherboard um, and Vice, and, and uh, Vice Sports, I should say. And uh, I w it was primarily a video uh, project, too. There was about a five-minute video that came out with the, uh, with the article as well. Uh, but my editor asked me if I wanted to tag along with the video team, and I said, absolutely, I did. And I thought the video was uh, fascinating. I mean, first of all, it was very well produced, but also uh, for me, like there's there's people I know in that video, which is always kind of funny. <laughs> so um, I thought it was interesting. One of the things you wrote is uh, it's it's not Moneyball. It's in a way more. It's way way more exciting. Um, those are your words, and I thought that was interesting because you linked to a lot of other Statcast stories at other places or on the internet that really do call it Moneyball. But it, it's very different, isn't it? Like, as, as you wrote, it's it's being compared a little bit also to, like, wins above replacement. But that's essentially a made-up number. And while it's very valuable, you can't see a war, right? You can't see a win above replacement on the field. While StackS, what it's doing is actually tracking what's happening. It's tracking how hard this ball was thrown, uh, how much it's spinning, how fast this guy is running. Uh, and that's an important distinction, don't you think? Absolutely. This was kind of a point that I came to from just, you know, talking with uh, Greg Kane, who's kind of in charge of the whole StackCast project. Uh, and, and, you know, while we were at Fenway Park, we, were, we, were, we had some downtime just to chat about it. And one of the things I kind of asked him was, you know, there's been so much hesitation from, you know, a significant portion of the baseball fan base about the sabermetrics movement. And I was curious if he was at all uh, – cautious or had those fans in mind when he was thinking about StatCast and when he was producing it, and whether he anticipated similar hesitations from that same group. And he had a very intelligent answer, you know, not at all surprising. He's an incredibly uh, bright guy. And he, he kind of pointed this out to me, too, and I kind of ran with it in the piece, which is exactly, you know, it's along the lines of what you say, which is, so much of what made sabermetrics and Moneyball hard for some fans to to kind of adopt and accept as a fundamental part of the game was that it, they are kind of derivatives of what you see on the field. They're aggregations, so it's it's hard for them to really uh, relate to it. As, and Statcast, like you said, is the exact opposite. It's finding quantifications for what we see in every single play. It's going in the opposite direction as Moneyball. And I think that's going to make it a lot easier for people to adopt 
And I also think it makes it far more interesting, you know, just like on a, on a game-to-game basis. It's something that I want a part of each game because when I'm watching a game, you know, it, yeah, it helps to know what someone's war is, I guess. You know, that's, that's okay. But when I'm watching an individual game, I, it, it doesn't really help me understand what I'm seeing that much better because it's the compilation of large sample sizes. StatCast is the exact opposite. It tells me more about the sample size of the one that I'm seeing right there in front of me, which is the you know the play that just happened. And I, I think that's what you wrote. You said uh, rather than condensing a thousand different inputs into one number, as as War does, it's turning one story into a thousand numbers, uh, which is interesting because you know as, as you further asked, and what I suppose is a rhetorical question, you know if it tells us what we can already see, then why do we need it? And I think that that's a question that has come up, but I I, I apply that to other you know, sports, right? Like, for example, if you watch auto racing, well, you know which car won, but you want to know how fast it went, right? <laughs> like, you want to know how many how many miles it went around the track. And so I think that these are just maybe very complicated, uh, like complicated inputs towards getting simple answers to simple questions of, of how far, how fast did this guy run? How far did he run? Um, and I'm interested to know if, if that's kind of the reaction that you've gotten to the piece there. Yeah, the reaction I've gotten to the piece has been overwhelmingly positive in terms of people understanding the value of StatCast. I think one of the reasons people have, you know, there, there are some people who have had that reaction to StatCast so far, which is, you know, the why do we need it question. Uh, I think that mostly comes up out of Major League Baseball's very concerted effort to cautiously adopt this stuff, um, you know, piece by piece, which I think is a smart strategy for something this long term. There's no reason to rush into it. It's going to, the infrastructure is going to be there for decades. You know, they're, they're, it, this is a long-term strategy. It was, you know, made very clear to me. And so I think it's smart for them to, you know, kind of take baby steps, you know, wade into the pool, so to speak, to really find out what fans want, what they can do, what they can't do while they work out the bugs and the kinks in the system in its first year. And then in a couple of years, they can introduce it more robustly to the, to the MLB experience and I think that's when fans are going to find its value. You know, that's when they're going to be able to answer questions that they have with the data, the push of a few buttons, which right now we can't really do. But, you know, that's totally understandable given that it's the first year of its you know, widespread use. I know you wrote a short follow-up piece uh, earlier this week that I thought was really a perfect application of the technology. Um, as everybody on the planet knows by now, there was the dust-up with Papelbon and Bryce Harper in the Washington dugout where they got into a fight and Papelbon got suspended. Uh, and that spawned just a million think pieces about baseball culture and tough guy culture and whether Bryce Harper's entitled and just, you know, more of these things than you, anyone could possibly stomach. Uh, and I thought your piece is interesting because it actually applied some data to it. And so what you had done is you, you followed up and got some data that said uh, of the 350 players who had run from home to first at least 50 times, Harper's speed was 95th fastest uh, as far as average top speed and overall is 113 fastest. And while that's not, it's not standing out, he's not first or second or third, the point is he's right in the middle of the pack, right? So he's about exactly the same as everybody else. Uh, and whether you like Bryce Harper or not, it's interesting to be able to actually prove, no, really, he's not a lazy guy. He does the same thing everybody else does. Uh, and it's, it's fun to be able to put some actual numbers into what is essentially a dugout fight. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it, so this is one of, like, the more interesting applications of, you know, like, out-of-the-box applications of StatCast. And I think we're going to find a lot of these because, you know, the possibilities really are endless. We can quantify nearly everything that happens on the field. And, you know, we were kind of like, honestly, we were just joking around a little bit around the office. Like, at first, I think our first suggestion was, can we can we find out exactly, like, how fast Papelbon's hands went towards Bryce Harper's throat or something like that as a joke? And then that kind of got me thinking, like, well, wait a minute, the central issue here is that, like, in you know, supposedly Harper is 
you know, lollygagging it on the field. And, you know, surely that's something StatCast can answer. And my, you know, my, my gut reaction when this whole thing started was just, you know, what baseball player runs out every single ground ball or every single fly ball? It seems bizarre to scapegoat quite possibly the best baseball player in the season. I mean, I'm almost certainly the best baseball player in the league this year and one of the historically great seasons we've ever seen for not doing it on one ground ball. So I, you know, I emailed the MLB guys and they were kind enough to provide the data. And yeah, what I saw is that, you know, when you plotted out basically the ratio of their top speed versus their average speed, which kind of gives you a sense of how often they're running at their top speed to first base and how often they're, they're not, you know, Harper's, literally right in the middle of the pack. Like you look at the graph and he's like one of the very central dots on the, on the trend line. So it's like, you're going to get mad at Harper for this. You have a lot of other players. You, you better start getting mad at too. And I love the idea of putting the, the numbers to these out of the box ideas, because uh, one of my to do's for the, for the off season and uh, nobody steal this please, is that we are actually tracking home run trot times around the bases. Oh yeah. I definitely had that idea. I mean, I, was, I didn't do anything about it, but that was like when I, heard about, you know, kind of like silly applications for it. This was like the first one that comes to mind, right? Home run trot times. Yeah, and that's a real thing. And obviously nobody's going to care about it right now as the playoffs are going to get going. But in the winter when baseball is dead, I, I want to output a list uh, fastest, slowest. And I think that's just going to be, you know, it, it's obviously this is serious stuff. We want to use this to you know, explain baseball. But half the point of baseball is fun. And, you know, what's more fun than that, right? <laughs> yeah, you got to be able to have fun with this data. I think that's something that, you know, tech has will be able to do more than some of the other um, statistics we've seen come out in the past decade or so. It, it, it's just, there's just so much... I mean, I'm kind of like a – I don't profess to be like a diehard baseball fan. I like the sport. I follow the sport my whole life, but I have others that I prefer. But honestly, StatCast gets me – gets my juices flowing about this game again. Like, I feel like there's something that I can really participate in that's just my own with the amount of data that's available here. Like, I see in the possibility that in five years – MLB kind of opens up like a few central things they're tracking to MLB.com users, and we can just parse the data as we want, and we can do basically what I was able to do in the article, which is say, okay, this was the most important play of the game. Let's see what happened on this pitch. Let's see how poor, you know, like how Stephen Drew was able to get a hold of a pitch in a game that Rick Porcello was otherwise completely dominating. And it was really fun to be, be able to come up with an explanation for it other than, you know, the age-old adage of, oh, the change-up hung, you know, or like something vague like that that isn't really all that descriptive. It's really exciting to have such a deep, intricate knowledge of what's going on on the field. You know, acknowledging my obvious bias, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I think it's fantastically exciting and uh, really good work this week in your articles. Aaron Gordon, staff writer for Vice Sports. Uh, look him up on Twitter at A underscore W underscore Gordon. Uh, a couple pieces this week on Vice about StackS. Aaron, thanks so much for taking some time with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. Thanks to our guests this week, Tyler Kepner of the New York Times, Aaron Gordon from Vice Sports. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Catch you next week on the MLB.com StackCast podcast. Mm-hmm.